This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people who make friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, and put this crazy market in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every quarter, I say the same thing. Do not try to gain earnings season. Just step away from the roulette wheel, because if you try to trade around these quarterly reports, you are going to get singed, if not burned. After a record day where the Dow gained 27 points, S&P climbed 0.02%, NASDAQ inched up 0.17%. That was easy. You need to understand that earnings season is devastating for traders. If you want to invest in a stock for reports and then buy some more if things go wrong and the stock gets hit, well, that's another thing. But trading, no thanks. Yeah, I didn't always feel this way. At my old hedge fund, I used to place heavy bets on what would happen before it happened. I had as much legal information as I could get my hands on, and I always thought I had an opportunity to make a good call ahead of time. That was before Regulation FD, when the government leveled the playing field. When I was running money, you could meet with execs in small groups and research channels and get important information other people simply didn't have access to or weren't privy to. That is now illegal. These days, everyone has access to the same information at the same time. I think that's fabulous. No one should be able to get better intelligence just because they're well-connected, better connected than you. However, it does mean that you really can't game early season like the pros would back in the 1990s. You have no edge. After I retired from my hedge fund, after Regulation FD, I started running a charitable trust. And the trust doesn't trade. We only invest. That's what you should do. It's a trust, for heaven's sake. We can't quick flip. We try to make considered decisions based on the available facts, just like I advise you to do at home. We look at the research, what Wall Street is saying about a company, and if it looks like the consensus is wrong, we might take a larger position in the stock going into earnings. We've had some very good ones for this show. Stocks like Chipotle, Honeywell, AMD, Danaher, just to name the recent winners. But it's a fraught process, and I know it. We have whiffed on a footlockers. How about Kohl's, how poorly we did on that? We had thought way too much about Allergan, even though it just got a takeover bid. It's still below where I thought I liked it. We didn't believe that Anadarko would be as terrible as it was. Luckily, we got bailed out on, on that one by a bidding war between Occidental Petroleum and Chevron. The thing is, you can't count on luck to rescue you from your bad decisions. So with that in mind, let me give you some time-honored rules to help you handle earnings season now that it is just kicking in. First, you need to understand that there are just 12 weeks a year where we're with just a flood of information. Earnings season. So much information that you simply can't do a decent job of analyzing companies on the fly. I always tell my wife, Lisa, make no plans for earnings season. We even delayed our honeymoon because of earnings season. Admittedly, a suboptimal way to start a marriage. 
but for, it, far from my worst relationship decision. It wasn't as bad, for instance, as trading a big block of Alcoa while my daughter was being born or trading union carbide options the day my mother died. But hey, in the immortal words of Joey Brown, at the end of Some Like It Hot, nobody's perfect. The point is, earnings season is important, not as important as your kids or your marriage. Thank heavens, I am learning perspective in my older age, and I'm ashamed about what I did, but I said that when Confessions of the Street Addict came out, and I'm even more ashamed. But look, this season only comes about once every three, three months, okay? It, it, do you mind if it, you know, we're doing, I mean, once every four months, it, there are four quarters, and you got to worry about it all four quarters. But when it's over, you can breathe again. So you got these three weeks periods, time four or 12 weeks that are really dangerous, and they require your undivided attention if you're going to play this game rather than invest. Which brings us to rule two. You need to listen to the conference calls before you make any decisions. Too often when a company reports the, he- the headlines are written by machines. If a company says it boosts forecasts in the release, the headlines hit the tape and you can get bamboozled quickly. So I need you to exercise some restraint. It happened tonight. We got a headline out of trucking giant J.B. Hunt that it missed estimates. Down with the stock. But then we got a more positive story from the company that mitigated the headline and the stock zoomed. Well, that's really valuable. I can't tell you how many times I've seen prominent companies like J.P. Morgan, Boeing, Caterpillar, 3M, Oracle trade up and then trade right back down when their quarter good headline, bad story. If you had a niche trigger finger on every one of those at one time or another, you got obliterated. There have been conference calls where smack in the middle. We learned that the quarter just announced was the high water mark for the year. That happened on a Caterpillar call. You know, the stock still hasn't recovered. If you don't want to take the time to listen to the call, here's what, here's an idea. Stop listening to me. Uh, just go buy an index fund. I can't countenance investing in individual stocks unless you're willing to put in the time. Do the homework. Rule three. Consider where a stock has come from. We know all the bank stocks have been red hot going into earnings, right? That's terrible. Great expectations set the stage for great disappointments. The banks rallied because the government blessed their aggressive dividend and buyback plans. Now we're in the world of cold, hard facts like net interest margins, efficiency ratios, loss ratios, how trading's doing, how investment banking's doing. And that's how Citicorp can report, Citigroup can report a truly terrific quarter. But because its stock ran up so much in anticipation, people, they just didn't care. They didn't care what Mike Corbett had to say. The stock ended up in the red. By the same token, if the stock is down going into the quarter, that can create a terrific opportunity. United Health reports on the 18th. If that stock pulls back ahead of its earnings, I think it will be worth owning. Why? Because I expect a terrific quarter from UNH, and the heat these managed care companies were getting from Washington has died down. The CEO, I do not think, will be so emotional and start attacking the system. That was ill-advised. And the president made a major policy shift in favor of the managed care companies against the drugs. At the same time, J&J reports tomorrow, it's down big because of worries about price controls on drugs. That would indeed be disastrous for the whole cohort. But if the stock gets hit again on a monster good quarter, that could be your opportunity. Rule four, don't be afraid to go against the grain on the stocks of terrific companies, like some of them that I'm going to outline later in the show if you stick with this show. Last week, I told you that because PepsiCo had run into the quarter, there would be skeptical analysts who would try to knock it down. And that's exactly what happened. After trading at 134 and change in pre-market, up more than a dollar, Pepsi plunged to slightly under 131 after the call, where I told you to buy it hand over fist, and now it is back above that one where it reported, because there was nothing wrong with PepsiCo. Nothing. Nice game.
finally, rule number five, never forget that we live in a time where the S&P 500 can play havoc with any stock. When I got into the business 40 years ago, what mattered most was the company's earnings. Then the sector was in and then the market as a whole. These days, things have reversed. The market as a whole is more important than the sector ETFs are more powerful. And then finally, they're the words of a given company. Please, though, understand that's a total blessing. It's what we want. So many people will buy the stock of a company ahead of the quarter and get gobsmacked by big events. Can you imagine if you bought the stock of Merck for the quarter at 87 because the business is good? You're down almost 7% because the president favored managed care companies over drug companies. So understand the frailty of the process. Even if you're right on the company itself, you could be dead wrong on the market or the sector. The bottom line, I do not want you to be discouraged. Earnings season is always rough, which is I prefer bat on the shoulder as my philosophy, being defensive, defensive hitting first. Maybe you get hit by a pitch or maybe you'll get walked. But the important thing is that you shouldn't try to hit home runs this week because you're much more likely to end up striking out. Bill in Virginia, Bill. Jim, thank you for all you do for the home gamers, and thank, thank you, you for actually answering my tweets. That's exactly what. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, I, t- I do answer people's tweets. By the way, I follow my own Twitter. That is a, not a machine. It be me. What's up? Down 8% from where I bought it. I'm only down 4% now, thanks to your rule I'm buying on the way down. Okay. With talk of them taking over USAA's wealth management division, if Charles Schwab reports a miss, should I call? Should I Call uncle, hold, or buy more. No, I think that Charles Schwab is the most remarkable asset gatherer of our time. It is very undervalued. And I tell you that if it comes down, buy, buy, buy. I don't. Oh, I kid. Well, that's what happens when you use a bat. Take it off your shoulder. I like it. Oh, I think this could be my old friend, longtime Dave from Illinois. Dave. Oh, thank you so much, Jim. Jim, this cloud software company has not been singled out as one of your preferred cloud kings, nor as an heir to the throne. Perhaps because this company services a niche market, the life sciences industry. Of course, I'm talking about Viva Systems, up over 100% year-to-date, perhaps enough to justify its rich forward P.E. ratio of 75 times. This cloud service provider is a standout for me. And so, Jim, my good mad friend, are you a believer in the Viva? Not only am I a believer, Dave, in Viva, but I think I totally screwed up. I've had Peter Gaster on the show a number of times. Every time he has delivered far better than expected earnings. What have I done? I've given only lip surface to Viva. I've treated it like Velveeta. It's much better than that. I think you're dead right. How smart are our viewers, especially Dave from Illinois? Viva is a win. All right, I want you to do this. Unless you've got total conviction, here's where your bat should rest during earnings season. Home runs during earnings season are harder to come by. I just don't want you to get discouraged four times a year, but don't obliterate things at home because of it. Leave that to me. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, we've got a royal on set, and I think it deserves your attention. I'm talking VMware. I'm sitting down with the Cloud King to see what's ahead for the company, and it may be a buy. Then I'm bringing you into the minds of big money managers and showing you which stocks will be anointed for the rest of the year. And CNBC's own Carl Quintanilla is going to join me to talk about America's growing but controversial as an e-cigarette addiction. Hey, maybe they're great guys. All they're doing is killing you softly. <laughs> Sorry. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. One of my favorite guests, Sanjay Poonin, is in the house. In a moment when most of the cloud stocks are going strong, I want to circle back to the one that has been a bit of a laggard. I'm talking about Kramer Fave VMware, the company that pioneered the virtualization software that makes data centers so powerful by letting a single server run multiple virtual machines. VMware is now a major player in the cloud infrastructure space. Exposure to networking, hyper-converged systems, of course, the cloud. However, when the company reported roughly six weeks ago, even though the actual results were incredibly strong, management didn't raise guidance. Stock got clobbered. This was a $200 stock near the end of May. By last week, get pulled back to 161, though in recent sessions showing a sign of life, 172. And so is it time, I have to ask, to buy the Cloud King that is cheaper than I thought it would be? Can it get its groove back? Let's check in with Sanjay Poon. He is VMware's Chief Operating Officer of Customer Operations to get a better sense of how his company's doing and where the whole cloud cohort is headed. Mr. Poonin, welcome back to Man Money. Sanjay, have a seat. Good to see you. Thank you, Joe. All right, Pleasure so let's, let's clear things up immediately. Uh, here, Morgan Stanley piece. Uh, first quarter 20 results, macro uncertainty keeps a lid on the fiscal year. J.P. Morgan, VMware acknowledges uncertainties in the macro, but bucks the trend with solid buildings. To me, it just seems you're being conservative. This was a monster good quarter, maybe the best of the cloud kings. Well, we had a great quarter, and you have to put the, the bigger picture in perspective. I think we're in the golden age of software. We're software defining everything. The software companies in general are doing well. What we have done as a company is focused on making the data center software-driven, and we think there's a bright future there. Right. We showed some examples of that in hyper-converged in networking, software-defined networking. We showed some incredible uh, momentum with our partnerships in the hybrid cloud. Amazon's obviously first and preferred right. there. We also announced a partnership with Azure. We can get into that. Mm-hmm. And the digital workspace, which are all of the device. So we think our future is bright, and we just have to keep executing. Our view is always the long run. Well, what I'm hearing is, is that just because one of your partners, obviously ownership state, Dell, may have not had that great a quarter, we should necessarily read through that for VMware. That may be a mistaken correlation. I think it's a little bit of a misperception that we should yeah. nip in the butt. All First right. off, VMware business with Dell in these areas like hyperconverge, we've now surpassed companies like Nutanix, who are number one in hyperconverged infrastructure. Know that. Uh, and in the digital workspace where we're partnering with Dell laptops, those are going very well. And we want Dell and VMware to do well together. But in the data center, we work with Dell, with HPE, with Cisco, with Lenovo. There is no one hardware player that's the majority of our business. In the cloud, we work with AWS, with Azure, with Google, with Alibaba, with IBM. You won't find another company that's got as many hybrid cloud partners. In the digital workspace, we work with Apple, with Google, with Microsoft. So in this software future, remember I said we're in the golden age of software? Yes. Okay? Our, uh, we're not tethered to one company. We're optimized for Dell, but not tethered to them. 
And you need a software-based solution for any of these areas, the data center, the cloud, or the digital workspace during tough times and in good times. Now, I understand, I may have misspoken this, but I was talking to some people at some major uh, department stores, retailers, and they said, look, you know, people are leaving Amazon because they don't want to compete, send money to their uh, partner, Amazon, who's really their opponent when it comes to brick and mortar. You're in a position, it seems like that Amazon and you guys together offer such a good value proposition that I shouldn't think of it as enemy of Amazon, therefore not doing business. That is really a much more complex and maybe advantageous thing for many companies, including retailers, to use you and Amazon. Yes, you should think about applications like mobile homes. They're going to move from the data center to the cloud on this freeway called VMware. Okay. Now the mobile home could go to one cloud, may come back. VMware allows the data center to act like a public cloud. So we make the, the hardware data center look like Amazon. Okay. Now if you are Amazon, an Amazon customer, and they have 30, 35% market share, number one in the market. Deservedly, the cloud, right? They're very absolutely, good. Absolutely, and they're our preferred and top partner. We can help customers, and we have many customers we've talked about that are now adopting that VMware cloud in AWS. Right. For those customers who said, we're not an Amazon shop. For example, we quoted Walmart in our announcement. They are using Azure. Right. They have an option now because we announced a partnership with Azure. So there are some customers that are going to have some other clouds. It is a multi-cloud world. While AWS will be first and preferred for us, right. we want every customer that has VMware in the private cloud, but AWS, Azure, Google, IBM, Alibaba, those five are the top five hyperscalers. All of them have embraced VMware. Well, that is fantastic, and that answers that second question. We're too dependent on Amazon, clearly not, and we don't mind being having great relations with Amazon. Now, Red Hat merged with IBM last week. I was concerned about the impact on VMware. They were actually surprisingly quite positive about VMware because Red Hat seems to like you. Well, listen, IBM is a great partner of VMware. We love their services business. IBM Cloud has 2,000-plus customers. So we're going to partner really well with Ginny and the team. We compete with a small part of Red Hat's business on containers. Right. But 80% of Red Hat's business is Linux. Okay? A right. good part of their business, which is OpenShift and JBoss, is you know, not doing so well. Right. But the future of containers, that's a small part of the business. We can walk and chew gum, which okay. is we can partner with IBM and compete with that small part of Red Hat, and that's our focus. And we want a big tent at VMware. We want to partner with as many people as possible and compete with as few people as possible. All right. Now, I, I love that. You are a man of your word. Where are we with China? Do I have to worry? You could tell me straight that, Jim, things are not where we want them to be. Listen, first off, we have to abide by the laws of land. So right. if the U.S. federal government asks us that we're not supposed to do business with certain companies, we will abide by that. Okay. We do have certain uh, Chinese companies that depend on us, and we have a good business there and employees there. And we hope over the long term these trade issues uh, resolve themselves. But for right now, we're not seeing that impact our business, and we want to see ourselves. Software is a little less immune to some of these things the hardware guys have seen as it relates to China. Okay, perfect. Now, you are always an inspiration to our viewers this weekend. On Twitter, you tweeted, and I immediately retweeted because it was so good, about 10 ways to create a customer-centric culture. I think that we forgot, in many ways, younger people are thinking, how do I serve my firm? How do I serve myself? They don't know how to serve the customer. Tell us something about what they should be reading and knowing. Listen, I, I would definitely love to have everyone read that blog, but I'd pick just two areas that Pretty all good of us could do. First off, if you want to serve your customers well, start by serving your employees. One of my professors at Harvard Business School, Len Schlesinger, wrote a, a, a blog on, an article and a book on service profit chain. And what he's talked about is if you want to create shareholder value, focus not just on customer satisfaction, but satisfied employees. Hug your stars. Take care of the best and brightest and come in there. 
And the second one is something that I think all of us can do, and you do very well in your show, which is make your story Sesame Street simple. All too often, yes, I see yes, product yes. managers and account executives blabbering on with PowerPoints. <laughs> Okay, let's tell the story like you're telling the story to your mother or to your kid. Yes, this is what the shows. I used to tell my mom about all the stocks. And I would have to say, listen, it's a grocery store. Go feel the lettuce. Exactly. And when we make this, ironically, when you make things simple, you're going back to some of the basic principles of Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, or Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's not that complicated. two that I swear by. Have customer empathy. Wow. Okay, that is Sanjay Poonin. I told you he's an inspiration. CEO of VMware. I feel so much better. I am putting my money where my mouth is. I think my chapel trust has to buy the stock after our restrictions. That's how good this one sounds. Thank you so much, Sanjay. Thank you, stick with Stick with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. All right, let's give the bears their due for a second. If the economy is really slowing down, then what does work best here? Last week I told you to watch PepsiCo, but what other stocks should you put on your shopping list that can only rally in the face of the worldwide weakness that all the bears are predicting? Hey, you've come to the right place. I've got six of them. First, one of my favorite, Estee Lauder. Here's a cosmetics company run by one of the smartest executives I have ever met, Fabrizio Freda, formerly of Procter & Gamble, who's taken this prestigious brand and turned it into the most beloved makeup business on earth. Because we all live in the selfie generation, where everyone has to look good Anytime they step outside, Estee Lauder is in the catbird seat. I like the fact that Freda created what's known as a reverse mentoring system, where every so often the young people in the office mentor the old timers to catch them up on the latest and greatest for the millennials. Plus, the company has got a fantastic Chinese business. Get this, that's only gotten better during the trade tensions. Is there another company on earth that can possibly say that? I don't think so. Second slowdown stock, Starbucks. Have you seen this thing creep from the 50s up to $90 ever since Kevin Johnson really got his hands dirty getting this thing over after he inherited from Howard Schultz? Johnson made it happen by taking $7.15 billion from the sale of the company's consumer packaged goods division and then using that money to buy back stock hand over fist because the share price was so undervalued. Even better, Johnson comes to Starbucks from Juniper Networks, a technology company, and he's used his tech expertise to solve the company's longstanding throughput problem. With its new technology, Starbucks can process many more transactions. Johnson's done this in his own quiet way. He's donned the green apron, and because he's not known, he could be both ubiquitous and anonymous. I really like that. He's improved the loyalty program, made good tie-ins with important Chinese businesses, and that includes extending the friendship Howard Schultz had with Jack Ma of Alibaba fame. That's important because the Chinese Chinese market is gigantic for these guys, and it had slowed down. Now it's coming back and coming back with a vengeance, and Starbucks doesn't seem to be suffering many ill effects from the trade war. Slowdown stock number three is Chipotle. Today, several times, 
Uh, several firms raised their price targets on this one, and I think they did the right thing. Here's the deal with Chipotle. Ever since Brian Nickel took over as CEO in February of last year, he's brought a system of expertise to the company that had been missing under the previous regime. Like Starbucks, Chipotle suffered from incredibly spotty throughput. Nickel, late of Taco Bell of all places, has pretty much solved the problem. Of course, it didn't hurt that over this period, America's forgotten all about that health scare that put Chipotle in the penalty box in the first place. Oh, and CFO Jack Hartung, frequent guest of the show, bought back a ton of stock during the bad old days when the stock was much slower. What a shrewd decision. Nike is the next one. This is odd. The analysts didn't even like Nike's last quarter. In fact, they hated it. And yet since then, the stocks simply roared higher. What does that mean? It's simple. It means people believe the next quarter will be better than the last one. I think Nike's made an amazing comeback on basically nothing. That would alarm me, except when you see it come back on nothing for a gigantic senior growth stock, it usually means there's actually something afoot. I love Nike's Chinese business. I love their European business. I love their American business. What more can I say? If this, this one comes down, buy it. Here's one that angers me every time I look at it. It's the stock of Procter & Gamble. Why does it anger me? Because it never comes in. I can't push it to you. It just keeps chugging higher. I wanted to recommend it to you for a while, but we haven't gotten an attractive dip. And in the meantime, it's become everybody's favorite packaged goods company. I think David Taylor, the CEO, has done a fantastic job of boosting the growth. He's got an ongoing partnership with Nelson Peltz, engaged investor slash board member, who's a wizard when it comes to creating accountability in the consumer packaged goods space. I see from the chemical companies that's, uh, that's supply Procter with packaging, that its raw costs have come down. I see from the transportation companies that its freight costs have come down. Higher market share, lower costs, improving Chinese business, what's not to like? Watch this stock. Procter stock does not go down. The moment it pulls back maybe off of something market-wide, pounce. Finally, we've got slowdown stock number six, it's McDonald's. These are all household names I'm giving you. Mickey's D's has the, Mickey D's has the easiest comparisons coming up in the U.S. for a long time. It's got an incredible grip on technology. CEO Steve Easterbrook, okay, I'm calling him a genius who's engineered a stunning turnaround in recent years. First, he went over the franchisees, so smart. Then he worked on the technology and brought costs down. Now he's all about putting that tech to work to make McDonald's more convenient for you, the customer. I think the stock's got more room to run, even in a not-so-hot economy. Why focus on these boring slow down senior growth stocks? Look, it would be great to rely on the turbocharged growth stocks that can thrive during a downturn. You know, look, I'm a big fan of Facebook. For example, I like Libra, their new virtual currency, but I feel like I'm alone in that. Both the Democrats and Republicans have united against it. Seems no one else is buying into the notion that Facebook is somehow reformed. Fair enough. Frankly, I don't care if Facebook's reformed. I care that Instagram is crushing it. Unfortunately, rather than giving the stock a boost, Libra has turned it into a real overhang. I like Amazon, too. But you do you know how much hot money is ready to blow out of this thing on anything less than perfect numbers. Even if the numbers for Prime Day, which is today and tomorrow, turn out to be great, there will be sellers. It's ridiculous. The expectations are way too high. And I hate great expectations in stocks almost as much as I hated reading great expectations by Dickens. Alphabet, I was just thinking we might have a winner trade here. But then Peter Thiel, a guy who's rich as Croesus, he just started talking about China and treason. He says Google's compromised by the Chinese Communist Party needs to be investigated by the FBI and the CIA. Even if you think that his negotiations, his accusations are baseless, like something from the Manchurian candidate, Thiel is a real heft with the White House. I, he can make a lot of trouble for Alphabet. Apple, darn it, the stock's running again. When Apple roars higher, it's bad news, which is why I'm hesitant to recommend buying more at these levels. Sure, I like the cloud kings, but stocks like Workday, Splunk, and Salesforce have run so much. Same goes for the rising cloud plays like Kramer Family Fave, Okta, or Zscale, or Zendesk, or CrowdStrike, or Atlassian, or Altarix. You name it. I think the risk has gotten too high. 
that I can't afford to be glib about them. I need these cloud stocks to cool off. That goes for most tech stocks here, too. Terrific to double down on, on the moment, but let's let's just wait. I wanted to list some drug companies until the president trained his guns against them. And you have all the food stocks you need if you own PepsiCo. So I returned to the big six, Estee Lauder, McDonald's, Nike, Starbucks, Chipotle, and Procter & Gamble. No, I wouldn't just go out and buy them right here, right now, not in the first week of earnings season. But the bottom line, these six slowdown senior growth stocks have been anointed by Wall Street. They aren't going away. They'll be the second half winners that the big money guys just can't get enough of. Unsated. So now you have the list. Memorize them, people, because I bet they keep winning for the rest of the year. Let's go to Kevin in California. Kevin. Hey, Jim. Kevin. Kevin from Sacramento, California. Big Jimmy. Do I stick with GE? I came in at 28 in 2014. I wish they would have held on to their appliances. And what do you think of their their next earnings? And Jane from Sacramento is madly in love with you. There you go. Well, look, let me give you two uh, two calls on this. First is GE, I think, is out of the woods. But second, that doesn't mean that it can necessarily advance. Necessarily advance. Doesn't matter where you bought it. matters where the stock's going to know where it came from. I hold on to it, not just for, old, for keepsake, but because I do genuinely believe that one day Larry Culp will pull this rabbit out of the hat. Rob in Florida. Rob! Hey, booyah, Jim. Rob Caldwell in sunny South Florida. Nice. Quite- nice, Rob. A uh, question for you regarding Blackstone Group, uh, symbol BX. I'm a big TTD guy, um, but I've been watching this, and they're announcing their earnings pre-market on 718. Right. And they just also acquired the mobile marketing platform Bungle. Yeah, I saw at that. The current, at the current price of roughly 45 and a half, would you consider this a good entry point? No, I think the good entry point was 35 and a half. I know that it definitely has more room to run because they're switching to a C-Corp, but I think a lot of the trade has happened already. I think we're late to the party. I'd like to find ones that were early to the party. Okay, now you have the anointed stocks. The name's big money once into no matter what. These are the winners for the rest of 2019, people. Hey, much more man money. And CNBC's call continue. Got unprecedented access inside Jewel Labs. And he's giving me the scoop tonight. Don't miss it. Then could disappointing earnings tear the markets down? You may be surprised when you hear my take. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. If we did this tour today with a parent, right, of a teen who'd been using or who had been addicted, how would, you, how would you sort of defend all this, all this scale, all this production, all this growth? First of all, I tell them that I'm sorry that their child's using the product. It's not intended for them. Uh, I hope there was nothing that we did that made it appealing to them. As a parent of a 16-year-old, I'm sorry for them, and I have empathy for them in terms of what the challenges are going through. Burns hopes jeweling turns out to be less risky than smoking, but admits there are real concerns about the impact of chronic vaping. Frankly, we don't know today. We have not done the long-term longitudinal clinical testing that we need to do. All right, what are you supposed to do here about vaping? By now you've seen these things everywhere. I see them at all the parties with younger kids. I think it's a real conundrum here. Look at Juul, the leading player in the e-cigarette space. On the one hand, some, including, of course, the company, say it's a great harm reduction tool. They say it helps smokers quit. Giving them a way to inhale nicotine with uh, far fewer health risks than smoking. Though that's still not great. 
On the other hand, Juul almost made their product too appealing to the point where kids who never have tried real cigarettes are getting hooked on vaping, even as the company does, I, I admit, work hard to try to make it that not happen. Now, later tonight, my Squawk on the Street co-host, Carl Continia, has a new document called Vaporize, America's E-Cigarette Addiction. But before that airs, we wanted to sit down with Carl to find out what to expect. Carl, I love you, uh, and I watched the... I, I watched the documentary this weekend, and the my I left with two points. One is that while Jewel may think they're doing good, there's some children. There's a child from Michigan, a child from West Virginia, a child from New York. And all I could think of was he says they're sorry. They're sorry these sweet kids were so troubled, and they might not have been if it weren't for Jewel. You're right, Jim. I, I'm not sure Jewel has a good answer for that one. Uh, when you look at some of the early marketing campaigns, how they were positioned, the colors they used, the, col- uh, the music they used, the social media footprint they had uh, a few years ago, and then to hear him say, I'm sorry if we ever did anything that might have appealed to kids, it's tough to square. I, I totally agree, and I think that's why they're talking to us now. I think you're going to see this as chapter one in a long-standing apology tour saying we had some questionable practices in the past, and they're over. We're going to see. Uh, I am uh, involved with a move to be able to try to stop migraine, which is a terrible disease. When I know what it takes to get through the FDA with a very important drug, I am astonished how hard it is, even though we all mean well, even though we've all done great science. What great science? What besides these guys so-called meaning well have they done? Because if they're really that good at reducing harm, why don't they go to the FDA and do phase one, phase two and phase three trials? I think you got the answer in that clip you just played from Kevin Burns at the end where he says, he says we still don't know. I mean, you do need that, uh, that line on the, on the graph that, that connotes time, and that's something we just don't have with this technology yet. We need 10 years of human study on vaping to figure out about the effect on blood vessels, the effect of nicotine on the brain, the effect on healing. We're just going to have to wait. Those are, those are answers Jewel cannot and probably will not give us prematurely. Well, you went to uh, visit coal, the coal mining state, and you, you showed us that it's not just nicotine, for heaven's sake. Maybe we're minimizing the problem by focus on lungs. Yep, we went to West Virginia, highest uh, smoking rate in the country, uh, some 20-odd percent, where they have a lot of expertise in our, our particulates that you breathe in, obviously from the coal mining days. Uh, they're putting lab mice in a tank, exposing them to vapor, and seeing that perhaps blood vessel hardening is essentially the same as if you smoke cigarettes. So if that's an indication of what you'll see on human trials, Jewel's got a problem. Industry's got a problem. But for now, uh, there are still some who say they're rodents. You can't translate that into the effect on humans. Cole, uh, you, there is a moment because you're a judicious person. You talk about how the U.K., uh, is actually supportive of of, uh, of the jewel-like instrument. Uh, why are they so much less concerned about what I see when I go to parties with younger people, where I'm where my wife is pulling jewels out of people's mouth, throwing them away? Why aren't they more concerned about getting people hooked on nicotine and so worried about the people much later in life who really made a decision to go for nicotine? Isn't that a bad I- priority? It's quizzical. I mean, the split between them and us. I think you, you've been to Europe. You know the marketing on tobacco is a lot more graphic than it is in the States. And so as a result, they don't have the teen epidemic that we have. Their smoking rates have come way down. They see vaping as a blessing. 
and they haven't yet had the negative externalities of teen use. Uh, that's just a function of our marketing restrictions here in this country, and I think uh, a function of the, de the degree to which FDA has sort of pussyfooted around to some sense on this topic. Uh, do you think it's ironic, Carl, that uh, Altria puts out a release which just says, Altria makes $12.8 billion minority investment in Juul to accelerate harm reduction. Well, who's causing the harm? In, uh, who is causing the harm? Isn't it Altria? I mean, that Tobacco 1.0 would say yes, and that you point right to one of the key concerns among critics, and that is, yeah, this might help some smokers uh, quit smoking, but it might keep them smoking and juuling at the same time. They call it dual use, and that's one of the FDA's big theories, is that this is not really reducing smoking so much as it is allowing smokers to get a fix when they're indoors, when they're in a no-smoking zone. That does not solve the long-term problem of cessation. One last question. You have younger children. How horrified, how horrified would you be if you ever, as they grow up, caught them using a jewel? You know, Jim, my kids are 10, younger than yours. I asked them about this. They say, Dad, that's an upper school problem. The fact that they even know about it at 10, I think, does tell you the degree to which this is filtering down into extremely young grades. Uh, that was one of the biggest surprises that I personally had. Uh, doing this project. It felt to me like when Mad Men, it was so great. <laughs> it was so great when he stood up to Lucky Strike. Uh, John Hamm did it. It was chilling. Uh, will anyone be John Hamm to stop Jewel besides those very nice people at the end who seem to be trying their best? Uh, we're going to find out, Jim. I think uh, the big player, Jewel, has to be the adult in the room, and they're going to try to I think work a little bit harder than we've seen at setting some parameters for growth that are going to pinch in the long term, but hopefully help this public policy story. You have done amazing documentaries. Carl, this was the most chilling. I am sending the link that you gave me to everyone. Every parent, every child, every teenager, every millennial must watch this. This is not what I knew. Congratulations on a great documentary. Thanks, Jim. Okay, this is tonight, okay? It's my colleague, Carl Quintanilla, whose new documentary, Vaporize, America's E-Cigarette Addiction, premieres tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern here on CNBC. I'm hoping I can get a while, get around to him. I was so incensed by this that I was shaking. I was shaking after I saw it. We have money's back after the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? You have a lightning round because you're Sandy, big call for you, Sandy. Hey, how's it going, Jim? All right, how about you? Good. I'm from Earthquake, California. Booyah. Booyah. Uh, my sister just got married. I was thinking about getting her into uh, MRVL, Marvell. Is it a good time? I think it is. This is the number one 5G name. Now, remember, this is a company that has reinvented itself in a very short period of time, and it wins with Huawei or without. Bye-bye. My travel trust has been buying it all the way down. Let's go to Aaron in Ohio. Aaron. Hey, Kramer. Yeah. First, I'd like to say hi to my friend Bill and Barb, who introduced me to this great show. Hello. Now, I wanted to ask, how you felt about General Motors stock. I do not like anything that's auto. I do see my friend Matt Horwin says to be charged every weekend. General Motors stock seems to be breaking out. 
So I've got to tell you, I'm not against it, but understand it's hard to get behind the motor companies when Phil LeBeau's talking about a strike. How about Gary in Maryland? Gary! Booyah, Jim. I watch his show every day, and I, I think it's good. Oh, Jim, the reason can't. I called you, I'd like to find out the um, uh, stock DuPont. I am worried about DuPont. My travel trust owns it. I know they're going to split it up into many different pieces. I am worried about litigation. At the same time, I'm kind of tired of it, so to speak. It doesn't seem to ever break out. So I'm going to say, don't buy, don't buy, As don't I will buy. probably have to do on my Wednesday conference call for Action Alert subscribers and club members. Jerry in North Carolina. Jerry. Yes, I'd like to know your opinion on KHC. My opinion on KHC is the following. Don't, don't buy, don't, don't buy. buy. Don't they buy. keep don't missing buy. the quarters. Don't they cut buy. the dividend. That's a recipe for going lower. Julie in Florida. Julie. Hi, Jim. First time caller. I'd nice. like to know. Buy, sell, or hold Bristol-Myers. I am a buyer of Bristol-Myers ah, right here because I think the acquisition with Celgene when it's complete, which will now be at the end of the year, is going to be terrific. I didn't wish they hadn't lost no Tesla. Boy, wow, what a cheap stock. The combination will be great. But Dr. Uh, Giovanni Caforio, he's been fabulous. Let's go to Anthony in Florida. Anthony! Booyah, Jim. Long-time viewer. Love the show. Thank you. Calling in. Thank you. Calling in today to check your opinion on Maxar technology. Mm, satellite technology. I think that this is one that is just a spec and a spec only. I don't care for it. Kathy in Wisconsin. Kathy! Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. What is your investing advice on Tenneco? Ten- Tenneco is a play on autos. And on autos, I say, be careful. Let's go to Juleen in Connecticut. Juleen. Hey, Jim. First time caller. Good to have you. time listener. I bought Spirit Aerosystems in. Spirit. Okay, well, let me tell you about Spirit. Spirit is directly related to the Boeing situation. And therefore, being levered to Boeing right now is a bad thing, too. I got to tell you, autos and Boeing are probably the weakest parts of this market. Ken in Delaware, Ken. Hey, Jim, a big first date booyah to you. I think that's pretty, I think that, that's actually quite impressive. What's going on? Um, always like to pick up high quality stocks. Um, Eli Lilly, down probably about like Eli uh, Lilly is among the highest quality. I think that David Ricks is doing terrific. I have to, you have to ride out the problems with the president and the drug companies. I would start the position here and buy a little more if it breaks 100. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Seven months ago, a lot of people started worrying that we were headed into a recession. Sell, 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 sell. Why? Because with that last rate hike from the Federal Reserve, we got what's known as an inverted yield curve, where short-term interest rates are higher than long-term rates. An inverted yield curve is a well-established signal that a recession is coming. <laughs> Candidly, I was very flummoxed by this because I figured Fed Chief Jay Powell can read the same stories we do. So he'd know that his plans for repeated rate hikes would devastate the economy. If you believe Powell was a rational thinking person, you had to believe he'd act to prevent a recession. And the easiest way to do that is to stop the prediction machine, roll back the last rate hike, and stop the inverted yield curve in its tracks. But the bears weren't buying. They didn't just tell you to sell everything because the sky was falling. They also predicted that we'd also get several 
several more rate hikes this year, regardless of what he said. That prediction was always pure lunacy, especially since Powell told us the hikes were on hold at the very beginning of the year. Now that Powell's talking about cutting rates, these same bears are completely on the run. They desperately needed stocks to come back down because they've fallen so far behind the red-hot averages. But they don't even know what could make them ha- make them go down now. It sure didn't happen today. These bearish money managers may have very large investors committed to them, so maybe the funds will be fine. Perhaps they're already so darn stinking rich themselves, so you don't matter. But what I don't like is that these commentators are never, ever going to be- have any accountability. We never hold billionaires accountable. They'll never admit, geez, I thought an inverted yield curve meant you should sell stocks because a recession was coming. And now I don't know what to do because Powell saw the same thing and decided to take action and stop the inversion. They'll never be called out on it because they simply aren't individually important enough to be worth chastising and they don't care about you. But you have to wonder what will drive the bears to disparage the market next. What are they going to use to scare you out of stocks? Earnings? That's what? Specifically, disappointing earnings. They see weakness and they're telling you that stocks will go down when you get that weakness, then you better fly out of here. You better skedaddle. However, there are two problems with that line of thinking. First, if you're selling a cyclical stock, you may have to deal with lower short rates, which have historically been good for these kinds of stocks. Investors will look right through the earnings valley because they know the Fed is now their friend. Second is what I call the Micron issue. Micron stock had been rallying into earnings because it's the hope that management would be positive about the near term. They weren't. They were positive about the long term. What happened? The stock then exploded from 32 to 44 in a matter of weeks. Keep in mind, this move occurred without any tangible sign from the Chinese that they're going to buy more Micron semiconductors. Investors looked through those valleys. They braced for troughs because the Fed has their back. As the late great market master Marty Zweig used to say, you don't fight the Fed. You do not fight the tape. Now, I'm not saying that all the earnings we're going to get this week will be strong. Certainly not. But do I think the reactions to weak earnings will be negative? That is what I am not sure about. The bulls now have the Fed on their side, and that makes a big difference. I think the Fed may be too powerful an opponent for the bears to overcome, and weakness, like the weakness, for instance, we originally got for the trucking giant J.B. Hunt off a negative headline this very evening, can and must be bought, because you just made eight bucks from the headline dip to the real story apex. The trough was bridged again. Stick with Kramer. really important not to take your cue from the actual stock and the way it moves on a given day. City had a terrific quarter, much better than I expected, okay? It opened up a dollar and then traded down because the stock had run. If you therefore assume that there was something wrong with City, I think you're making a mistake. You may see that happen with other bank stocks this week, but City's was a very strong quarter. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.